Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to The Spilled Tea, your place for the latest on pop culture, entertainment news, and LGBT issues. Now, here are your hosts. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of The Spilled Tea. I am one of your hosts, Emmy Morgan. And it's hot in Massachusetts. I don't know how hot it is where you are, but it's hot. And the part of Massachusetts I'm at, I mean, yeah, we have the Connecticut River, but it's not like Boston where it has that ocean air. It's kind of like stale, hot, sticky air. And it sucks. I hate being hot. I hate summer. I hate the extremes. I hate summer, heat, and humidity. And I hate winter's frigid coldness and blizzards. And, you know, the heat waves suck because you never know what's going to... Usually they last for a week. So this week it's going to be a heat wave. Last week it was normal. It was comfortable. The week before, it was a heat wave coming in and out, and I just wish that it would just be even-keeled and normal. Like, we didn't even have a spring. We had a winter, and then it was spring, summer. Like, it just, like, didn't even, like, get to be spring at all. Um, Hold on. Sorry, I'm trying to get Joe in, and my computer's acting up. Sorry, hold on. Oh, my God, my computer sucks. Okay, Joe, hi. Speaking of being killed and normal. Wow, really? Uh, Really? (laughs) Y'all see how he, like, (laughs) threw me under the bus, ran over me, and then was like, are you okay? Y'all saw that, right? (laughs) Mm. Wait, I asked if you were okay. Mm. Wow, Joseph. Wow. <laughs> it's all love. It's all love. Stop it. There's no throwing anyone under mm-hmm. the box. Yeah, uh, see? See? When I say Joseph, then he gets nervous. See? See what happens? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, PTSD. <laughs> how, um, how was your week? My week was pretty pretty darn good. Yeah? Yeah. How no fun. complaints. No complaints. Spill it. Um, I had a... I had well, I had a, a mild uh, infection in my ankle, in my wound. What the? Um, but uh, yeah, no, it, it, we're just gonna move past that. I got some antibiotics. Everything's great. We're back in the men. Okay, I mean that speaks <laughs> to that speaks volumes of who you are. That it's still a good week. Okay. Rest um, and recover. Rest and recover. Yeah. So let's get into it, I guess. Um, I cannot pronounce his last name. First name, Carl. I want to say Nesbitt, but I, I think I'm saying it wrong. Nasib? Nasib? I believe Nassib? it's Nasib, but... What the... Oh, okay, Nasib. I'm like the worst at pronouncing names, unless they're Spanish, and I can <laughs> pronounce them all day long. 
anything else, I'm like, what is that? Um, Carl came out as gay. Um, he was, he's been pegged as the first openly gay um, active athlete in the NFL. I took a lot of offense to it. I mean, of course I support him. Don't get me wrong. Being a part of the LGBTQ community, I feel like sometimes we get pitted against. So I felt a little, I was in my feelings a little because Michael Sam came out in 2014 and the first thing people said when he came out was, well, he's not that great of a player. And then the second thing is, why does he have a white boyfriend? When Carl comes out, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. I'm, I don't have mixed feelings about Carl coming out. I have mixed feelings about the reaction. Um, being a heterosexual man um, who's an ally, how do you feel about Carl coming out? Um, well, let me start off by saying, first and foremost, uh, Carl, Carl Nassib is also uh, a Raider, which to me makes it that much better because I'm a huge Raiders fan. They've been, mm, my, geez, they've been my team since, since I was a kid. No, that's true. Uh, they've been my team since I was a kid. I could not be prouder that the first active NFL player is, uh, mm-hmm. is, is on our team in, in terms of, in terms of coming out. I'm, you know, I'm extremely uh, proud of, of the Silver and Black for supporting him. And mm-hmm. uh, I know I said this to Emmy the other day, we should add Silver and Black to the, to the flag, but that's just my humble opinion because it's an homage to the Raiders. I, I'm certainly not taken away from, uh, from the flag. But, so, um, I cannot with I'm, you. I'm, I cannot <laughs> believe you mentioned that. Joe! <laughs> Oh, Anywhere oh I can God. show my my, my Raiders oh, fandom, I'm going to do God. it. Oh, my God. Listen, my <sighs> car is silver and black. I'm clearly a fan. Oh, um, my goodness. So I think, it's, I think it's amazing that, you know, that he was able to do that in a supporting environment. A lot of his teammates mm-hmm. and the organization itself have come out in support and mm-hmm. said, you know, we don't care. You're here to play football. We, we don't, mm-hmm. you know, we appreciate you for who you are and mm-hmm. this doesn't change anything in terms of, uh, in terms of how we value you as a, as a member of our organization. I think that's fantastic. Um, it is. I think when you, when you, when you talk about how this impacts the league in general, and I know we talked about this a little bit this week too, um, each one of these situations is a step in the, in the right direction. This kind of piggybacks on last week where we were talking about, you know, if, if someone changes the law, if someone, you know, even takes some step to modify it to help an underserved or, a, you know, a, a, a marginalized community, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, and I mm-hmm. think this kind of echoes those, those same sentiments. If, you know, if the more players that we have that can own who they are and own, you know, what they're, uh, you, know, w- you know, what they believe in and, 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 you know, own their personship, like, I'm all for it. Um, and mm-hmm. I think Michael, Michael Sam was a great example of someone who took a bold move. And, you know, we're talking several years ago now with him. Mm-hmm. Um, he, took, he took a bold step in coming out in college, which to me is, 
I mean, that's mind blowing that someone in, you know, in right. college was willing to, you know, was willing to say that. Um, and, you know, at a, at a university of, you know, like Missouri, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that they're, that all, all universities are created equal, but the reality of it is Missouri is, I wouldn't call it the most progressive of, of areas in the country if we had to, yeah, we they had weren't to label ready. things they weren't that ready. way. Mm-hmm. They, they weren't mm-hmm. ready. And so, you know, they, mm-hmm. had, they had that Westboro Baptist Church coming out and protesting him. Mm-hmm. And, it was just, you know, you could, you could see that this was certainly something that um, would, would be a challenge for anybody. But for someone who is that young and who's dealing with, right. you know, finding themselves in general, I, I mean, that took a lot of courage. And I give him, you mm-hmm. know, the utmost respect. Of course, you know, in hindsight, should they have been more, uh, more pay, paid more homage to him as one of the, the first NFL players to, uh, to come out? I think so. Um, and I think they, they kind of used the fact that, you know, maybe he was a, a, a marginal player. Um, mm-hmm. Someone, yeah, someone who maybe wasn't going to have a long and storied career in the league to be able to say, well, he didn't really, you know, he wasn't really the first. He wasn't really, it wasn't really that big a deal. Right, right. And I love that he um, waited until he was signed, sealed, and delivered. And he was like, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm gay, y'all. Peace. And the man's six <laughs> seven. So who's gonna who's gonna step to him? Who's gonna be like you a f word? He's gonna be like pop right in the kisser. You know what I mean? Like it's done. And to be honest with you, uh, he's not probably not. I don't condone violence. I'm being I'm being facetious. But with you, you said something that I really want people to understand. People in the league don't give a shit if this man is gay. They have players already in the league that are closeted. Because you got to think, if he's coming out, that means he was closeted at one point. So there are other players that are closeted. Maybe Carl will invite them to come out, you know? Like, not invite, but inspire them to come out. Um, yeah. Yeah, come on, guys. Come out of the closet. Yeah, it's fun, man. Yeah, he's not going to invite them. Um, <laughs> sorry, wrong word. But also, too, what I was thinking of when you said that phrase, people don't like trans people in the military. But if you ask military folks, do you care who is in the trenches next to you that potentially might save your life? Do you care what gender they are? They will say, fuck no. If you are strong enough to pick me up, if I'm wounded, to carry me back, if you are going to protect me, if you're going to take a bullet for me, I don't give a fuck what gender you are. So it's kind of like the same thing. If you're on the field and you're going to help me score home runs and you're going to get us to – did I say home run? Oh, my God. I yeah, really I don't even know my sport. Um, whatever. Um, <laughs> listen, I don't know sports, okay? Leave me alone. Go Touch Raiders. Down. Whatever. Go Raiders. <laughs> so bad. Um, I don't think they care. They've, they've known that these people are gay behind closed doors. These people are only coming out now. 
They don't give a shit. So why do we as fans give a shit? If you aren't in the military, why the hell do you care who's serving our country? As long as you're protected, who the hell cares? Trans people are brave enough in a way that you're not. And they're walking alongside other cisgender servicemen and women who are brave enough and you're not. And the same goes with sports. You have, yeah, you think that, you know, oh, anybody can be a sport. No, they, they suffer massive injuries just to play that sport. That's why they get the millions of dollars, because they know once you're done with sports, what are you going to do? You know, the concussions that people suffer in that sport, astronomical. Mm-hmm. So I just, I think we all need to kind of check ourselves when it comes to athletes coming out and I'm so glad that that athlete I forgot her name she was running and she made some world record and she did a a little shout out to her girlfriend I'm like yes during pride month like fuck this is amazing this has been the best pride month in decades by the way I just want to say it's been pretty solid and very successful so I do want um I do want to throw one one thing out there about this whole story with with Carl Nassib, you know, obviously, as I said, I'm very proud of this, this moment as a Raider fan. Um, but I also want to, want to give a, no, I do want to get, I want to give a shout out to, um, there was a player from the the Green Bay Packers from the early Mm -hmm. nineties and Mm -hmm. his name was, uh, Sarah, Sarah Tualo. And, um, Mm -hmm. he was in the league for, I want to say it was eight or nine years and Mm -hmm. he didn't come out until after, and yeah, you know, it it was a big deal that he came out after the fact, and because this was mm-hmm. the '90s, this was still when you know the oh. the homosexual community was very, very, very uh, you know just publicly shamed, and mm-hmm. coming out was not an easy process. And I remember mm-hmm. in 2002, there was a situation where um, they were commenting on it. It was on Sports Center or something, and, and Shannon Sharp who was, you know, who was also on the Green Bay Packers for, for much of his career, um, he made a comment like, nah, he's like, people, people, um, people coming out and stuff like that, he's like, he absolutely would have been roasted in the, in the locker room. And that was like 10 years after this guy's career started and a few years after it ended. And it was, it was like, we're talking the early 2000s and people still had that mindset. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at Michael Sam in the, in the mid 2000 teens and now call you in, in 2021 and to think like this is the progression this is where we've gotten mm-hmm. to um is it fast enough no of course not um but to think like this is this is a a, a transitional phase of of sports of 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 american culture uh, it's it's mm-hmm. pretty amazing to see that that change can happen, and, and oftentimes it is too slow. Um, but it's it's it is reassuring that there are people that are willing to step out at, at their comfort zone and and take a risk, so that others in that in that marginalized community can also feel safe to do that as well. Right, and to to your point, this world is changing slowly but surely. Even when I came out as trans, when I first came out in 2015, there was a lot of, you're gross, you should die, you're disgusting, why are you like this, Um, go back. And then 
today, and I put the, and my profile hasn't changed. I put trans woman in my dating app profile. And, you know, people match me just to say those messages. No joke. Um, I have some of them saved. Wow. But now it's like, oh, yeah, I saw your um, profile. Yeah, um, I really don't care about that. And so it's more of me not connecting on them on a personal level, whereas, you know, what I can offer, not offer in a relationship. But it's not about me being trans. So the conversation is changing. Not that enough, but it is. And so I appreciate you saying that. I really do, because somebody who's not a part of the alphabet mafia can even see the change. And that's amazing, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're a squad. Yeah, we, we sit together. Think, think, back, think back to the 90s when, you I know, know. When the, the, well, the late 80s, when you're talking about mm-hmm. the, the AIDS epidemic starting to, you know, mm-hmm. to, to really coalesce into a public you know, into a, a public campaign uh, to educate people and to, and to try to prevent the spread of it. And they just, you know, they, they really touted this as a gay disease instead of saying, mm-hmm. all right, you know what, this is something that could impact literally anybody who's, who's transmitting bodily fluids. Between the, and right. you're going to, you know, you're going to vilify a particular community that made it so much harder for the gay community, but it also forced the gay community to rally against it. And I think that made them stronger and it made public campaigns for the rights of, of individuals who, you know, were being, you know, were being cast as, as the villains in this, in this scenario when they weren't. And, um, mm-hmm. and it isn't, you know, disease and sickness is not something that is a villain, a, a, a villainy type of situation. You know, it affects us all. And, um, and it is, it, I, to me, that was like a watershed moment to see how a community mm-hmm. could, could come together and say, listen, this isn't a gay thing. This is a human thing. So stop right. pinpointing us as a community. And we are a community. We are a large community and a strong community. Mm-hmm. And I think it made it, mm-hmm. to me, it made it, it, made it a much stronger, more compelling situation to have them be able to do that, to almost, to almost have their own villain to, to fight against, which is you know, which is great in, a, in its own right. Yeah, I mean, I went to donate, and I think I've talked about this before. Back in 2017, I went to donate blood at a blood drive at work, and it was September 2017. We've been doing this all the time. Um, when I went to go donate, they asked me questions. You know, what's your, do you have another name, blah, blah, blah. And because I was trans, said, well, if you identified as gay at some point in your life, you can't donate blood. And that's, and they told me to my face, that's just a rule we've had since the eighties. I said, well, you need to change it because people are dying and my blood is just as good as anybody else's. And I walked off Mm -hmm. and I was pissed. And I told the um, organizer of the event at work, she and I, well, first of all, she's a straight heterosexual woman. She was so mad. I thought she was going to start crying. That's how mad she was. We, together, she and I called the headquarters of uh, American Red Cross, and we were like, this is unacceptable. This is so unacceptable. And I kid you not, Joe, I, I have the letter somewhere. January 2018, I got a letter sent to my home that this ban, this rule has been lifted indefinitely. 
And now people who are gay, people who are trans can donate blood. And that was like four months later. I'm like, what? The? My phone call couldn't have done that. That must have been in the works. You know, of course, in my head, I, I'm, I'm telling myself that I'm the one that spearheaded that. But yeah, that was, that was the most discriminatory thing I've ever experienced. Yeah. So, any hoosers. Um, on June 23rd, 1993, this may not be a big deal for you guys, but it was a big deal for Joe and I. Okay, thank you. Sonic the Hedgehog premiered, debuted on Sega Genesis. Do you remember playing it for the first time, and what was your thought when you played it? Yes, and all right, so I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you the full story of how I remember, even even, even to the, like, almost to the moment of when this game mm-hmm. came out. Now, I remember, I remember getting Nintendo for Christmas, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think, if I remember correctly, it was 1988. Um, mm-hmm. I was so excited about Nintendo, but when Sega came out, Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of like the competition to Nintendo. And I was like, mm-hmm. nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm loyal. I'm Nintendo loyalist. Well, one of my friends, and I'm not going to tell you his name, um, he lived off the street from me, and he got the Sega. And we mm-hmm. used to play Altered Beast on it. <laughs> Altered Beast on it. Oh, and my then God. Sonic. And I remember when Sonic came out, and I was like, this game is the jam. I love the ring mm-hmm. sounds. It was like, mm-hmm. it, and I, I remember we spent probably five or six hours playing it at his house okay. after school. And mm-hmm. we, we did get, it was just like, it was like we were trying to get to the end of the game. And when we mm-hmm. finally did beat it, it was probably, you know, probably a couple of weeks later because we were obsessed with video games at the time. Um, it was like a monumental moment. But Sega was the jam, and Sonic was, mm-hmm. like, the pinnacle, the pinnacle. Mm-hmm. Um, not only – so I kind of remember, um, because I'm not, like, as obsessed with video games as Joe, but my, my sister Jamie, who is my sister by love, her younger brother, Brett, who has passed away in 2011, he got – the Sega Genesis and I remember when he got Sonic and I will be 100% honest I played video games with him because he had nobody else to play video games with especially if he was grounded so it was like me 100% that Sonic Hedgehog freaked me out first of all he was blue and I'm like why is he blue why is he rolling why is he walking onto the whole thing freaked me out I was completely freaked out and then when he hit something, he'd lose all his rings, and I would just, like, yell at the TV, like, what the hell are you doing? And I, yeah, it, it freaked me out at first, but then I, I liked it. I will say this. The movie that just was released last year or the year before in regards to this film was phenomenal. It was so Good. It was a little weird seeing, like, how the live-action version came into play, like, how, I don't know, whatever. It was still good. It was really good. Really well told. Um, Jim Carrey was Jim Carrey, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I, um, I, I was totally freaked out by that movie. 
or that, that game show. Game show? What the hell's wrong with me today? Jesus, I need a break. Um, video game. Yes, it freaked me out. And then when the two tails person came, that freaked me out even more because why does he have two tails? I just, I, I was totally freaked out by that game. Right when I was used to Sonic, then the two tails, and yeah, whatever. Anyway. Um, I thought that was monumental, and I want to talk about it. And also coming up, I know Joe. I, actually, I don't know if Joe watches. This is a topic we probably, um, I didn't go over with Joe, but it's just a quick little thing. On June 30th of this year, um, we'll be... June 30th, 1952, Guiding Light premiered on television. And it was the first daytime television, American television show in history. It has since gone off the air in 2019, but um, I just wanted to make mention of that because in the past, this show has talked about soaps, and I just wanted to make mention of it. I... I'm obsessed with that show. I wish it was back on the air, but did, did your family watch soap operas? So I'll tell you, my, my mom watched was religiously, but her oh, two okay. were, uh, yeah, yeah with, without question, every single day I would, uh, I, and I would, as a kid, I would sit there and, and you know, watch all my children mm-hmm. and Ryan's Hope. Wow. Ryan's Hope every, every single day. Every day with my mom. Wow. Yeah. My mom, as the world turns in Guiding Light, (laughs) CBS. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, you had your channel and you stuck to it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. But she wouldn't watch Young and the Restless. She wouldn't watch Young and the Restless or Bold and Beautiful. She hated those, but she would watch Guiding Light and As the World Turns. I, I forget know, what was on after Ryan's Hope. It might have been like so General many. Hospital was, or something. Yeah, there's so many. Oh yeah. Oh oh General. Yeah. Well, okay. So it was Ryan's Hope at twelve thirty, then mm-hmm. All My Children at one, and then One yeah. Life to Live at two, and then General Hospital at three. But after Ryan's yeah. Hope um, was canceled, there was a host of of different. Um, soap operas, I mean, I can't even remember the order. There was Loving, there was The City, there was Port Charles. There was just a couple of them. Loving, like, oh my gosh, through. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loving was good, actually. It wasn't that bad. A lot of big stars came from Loving. A lot of big stars. Luke Perry came from Loving. Got his start there. Um, a lot of big stars that in the soap world, I should say. Um, but in soaps in general, a lot of actors started off. What's funny is a little bit of trivia. <laughs> um, one celebrity, huge A-list celebrity, auditioned for a soap opera, and they told him he was such a terrible actor that they couldn't cast him. I'll give you one guess to who you think it is. One terrible actor? Yep. Well, um, that's what they called him. They call, at the time they called him a terrible actor. It's a shocker. I was uh, shocked. Or maybe it's, it's going to be shocker. somebody that like won an Oscar or something. I don't know. Um, Leonardo I'll give DiCaprio. you the hint. Yes, the, 
no, it was not Leo. It was Brad Pitt. You were close. <laughs> Brad Pitt went to audition for, I think it was Another World, or was it Ryan's Hope? One of those two. And they're like, yeah, no. Sorry, dude. Wow. Yup. 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 Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious. They missed their um, chance. They missed their chance. I do have a question. I have a couple questions. The first question I have is how do you use social media? We all know that you um, probably don't even know your Instagram password. But in general, no, no, that's not true. It's saved it? on my phone. Uh-oh. Oh, okay, <laughs> great. How do you use social media, Joseph? All right. So I have. Um, I'll, I'll kind of have to go through the history of my interaction with social media. So initially, Facebook, I hated it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, I was like one of those people that was like, I'm not getting Facebook. It's so silly. Um, but then I was convinced that it's a good way to keep up with people, and especially when. You know the world the, the the world moves on from you know from living in your hometown and you know being around all those people that you grew up with. Mm-hmm. You kind of have an opportunity to stay connected to, to you know anyone that that you've known throughout your life. So it was to me it was like all right here's an opportunity to reconnect with people and 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 it did kind of serve that purpose. Um, mm-hmm. And early on, for some reason, it always ended up as like some weird like a uh, wedge in, you know, in a relationship where someone's like, Oh, why are you friends with this girl? And I'm like, what? Oh my God. Um, yeah. And it turned into like this really weird scenario where I was like, you know what? I'm just not doing Facebook. And then I left for a little mm-hmm. while Then I came back. So I'm like, this is stupid. Like if someone's going to be like upset about who I'm friends with on Facebook, it's it's probably they they have some other shit they got to work out. So anyway, um, right. Needless to say, needless to say, I've been on Facebook for probably ten years now, you know, consistently. Mm-hmm. And most of what I post and what I do on Facebook is I just like to keep up with people. There was a period of time, especially around the 2016 election, where I was like arguing with everybody, and uh, yeah, you were, you know. Try, trying to like correct people for like posting shit that was just completely false and inaccurate mm-hmm. and misinterpreted. And I was like, you know what? This is a waste of my time and energy because mm-hmm. people just don't care. They're angry and they don't care. So now, and they want to um, argue. I, mm-hmm. Yeah, they want to argue and they mm-hmm. want to argue about stuff mm-hmm. that is really just completely meaningless. Um, so mm-hmm. now I use I use Facebook as simply a vessel to uh, to see what's happening in in people's lives and say say kind of re- regress back to its original purpose, which is just kind of stay connected with people and to mm-hmm. see what's happening in their lives and uh, and reach out you know if it's uh, if it's an opportunity to say hi or, or to say congratulations and stuff like that. Um, Instagram's a little bit different. I've always mm-hmm. looked at Instagram as a little bit more of an opportunity to kind of post things that are personally relevant um, or visually stimulating. So for for Instagram, especially now and more recently, I'm 
much more interested in posting things that are, you know, like photographs that I've taken. I'm, I've become very interested in photography and trying to uh, go out and just capture just random things with my camera. Um, so it's become more of that. And honestly, you know, aside from watching stories every once in a blue moon and just like scrolling through posts real quickly, I don't spend a mm-hmm. lot of time on there. Right. And that's gotcha. it. Twitter, I very rarely go on anymore. Um, every once in a while, if I want to see like a, a like a like a news story or something and how it's developing, I'll go on there. But for the most part, mm-hmm. I stay off of uh, I stay off of Twitter as well. Um, and that's about it. Nice, nice, nice. I know you are much more prolific on on social media than oh, I am. Oh, so. whatever. So you, I mean, you're not talk about it. Yeah. So you're a TikTok aficionado. <laughs> I am TikToking this. Um, so I, I actually use all social media differently. Sort of. Um, so Facebook, I have my Facebook profile, which is closed off. It was open when I first started Facebook, but then I realized that a couple of things. Number one, if an employer is looking to hire you, they will search your social media, Facebook being one of them. So I'm like, hmm, that's my personal stuff. That's my, like, not personal, not super personal. Like, I'm not putting out my social, my social security number, but, I mean, personal where I'm putting pictures of my niece and putting pictures of my nephew. I'm putting where I'm eating, you know. Um, I do use Facebook to let people, my close friends and family, know what I'm doing. I mean, I don't put, like, going downstairs to eat a sandwich. But if I go to a restaurant, um, (laughs) shut up. If I go to a restaurant, you know what I do? I have a trick, though. If I ever post that I'm going to a movie, I actually post as the movie's about to start when I'm at a restaurant I post after I'm about to leave and that is because people are crazy and although I have friends and family that are close I don't know what if someone rolls up you know I don't post when I'm on a date though so which has been quite a long time but I would never post, you know, at at dinner with my date, you know. It's typically my nephew, my nieces, um, to dinner with my high school friends. But also, too, I'm careful to post because some people will have the what about me, um, which I know you love. So I'll post. That I was having, like, the time that I posted, I was having dinner with some high school friends that we know. And then a couple of people were like, well, where was my invitation? And I was like, shit, I knew that this was going to happen. And it's like, I don't, I don't know where your invitation was. It's, it's a public place. You can come if you want. I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. So, um, so, yeah, that's more of, like, a personal, intrusive type of thing. 
my Facebook page, I liken it to Instagram because they're linked things like um, Monday Man Crush or Transformation Tuesday or Wednesday Woman Crush. Like I post more like um, viral type of conversation stuff. Uh, I I also try to especially the the ing ing Instagram DM. I try to talk to people more. You know, there are people. I have a friend who's in India. She and I have been friends for like God. I want to say six years. We talk constantly. And also, too, not for nothing, and I, I know what you're going to say, but I will still say it. You can possibly talk to a celebrity that way. And sometimes it is their a personal assistant, but sometimes it's them as well. And to hear some of the backstories with stuff, like there are some celebrities that I talk to, and I'm like, I had no idea. I didn't know that. I, oh, okay, well, that explains that a little bit more. You know, and it's kind of nice. And, again, you take the risk. You could be talking to them, but you also could be talking to their assistant. Or you could be talking to their social media manager. You kind of have to take the risk and hope that you're not. Um, What I would advise you to do is until you know it's them, don't give any personal information no other reason than you don't want to get into a situation where you feel you and they feel threatened. Actually talking to somebody last week and we were talking about personal stuff and then that person had to say you know what Uh, I don't really trust anybody so please don't tell anybody this. And I'm like are you kidding me? I'm not telling anybody anything we talk about. That's private between you and I. And I just felt so sad that that has to be a disclaimer nowadays. Like everybody's looking for their five minutes. Everybody's looking to screenshot and then post up. I'm not into that. I'll tell you this right now. There is a celeb- there, there's a celebrity that you would know, Joe, that I talked to in private DM, and he wants me to see his D-pick. And I said no, and he yelled at me. And I was like, dude, I, he's like, well, I go, listen, I don't want to see your D-pick. And he's like, okay, you're being weird. And I'm like, how am I being weird? What if I sell your D-pick to a tabloid? He's like, well, first of all, I can't believe you'd even mention that. And second of all, it's big enough where it's not a big deal for me. I'm like, okay, you're a creep, and I'm going to go. I didn't screenshot that, and I haven't posted that out. That's not who I am. Like, I mean, I, I, I actually, I, yeah, I did screenshot it and save it on my hard drive in case you ever lied on my name, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got to get through. But I'm not posting that out. Like, why? Um, actually, you know what that reminds me of? So down the line, that person is involved in the scandal. And then I come out and say I was kind of verbally harassed by this person. And then people are going to say, well, why didn't you say anything before? It made me think of Britain. Let's talk about it. 
when Britney just came out with her statement about her dad in the conservatorship and how she didn't want him on her conservatorship anymore, not one person said, I don't believe you. Everybody unanimously believed her. They believed that she had the IUD in her. They believed that she wasn't able to access her money. They believed every single thing that came out of her mouth. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm just saying, like, why is it that Dr. Christine Ford came out about Brett Kavanaugh and nobody believed her, but everybody believes Brittany? What is the difference, I guess? Maybe you can help explain Um, that. What is the difference? Um, Actually, I think I know. I would... So I, my, my two cents on it, the, the biggest difference is your, your politics is very different than um, personalities. Entertainment. Personalities. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, entertainment, people that are in entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. When you're talking about the situation with, with Brett Kavanaugh, you've got a bunch of people that are um, – making sure that politically the situation comes out the way they want it to, right? Mm, so, true. you know, if you're, if you're opposed to, you know, to Kavanaugh, you're like, you should listen to this woman. If you are supporting Kavanaugh and supporting essentially Trump getting another uh, justice on the Supreme Court, you don't care. You don't want all this mm-hmm. stuff to be true. You, 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 the cognitive dissonance there will prevent you from actually believing that it's even a possibility. So uh-huh. to me, it's, you're, you're talking about this, uh, this almost unknown quantity when, when you're referring to all these people that are involved in, in Britney's conservatorship, um, uh-huh. whereas in the Kavanaugh case, you're talking about a very, the op- almost the opposite of someone who is more uh-huh. publicly known being, being accused by someone who is far less publicly known. And so then people want to say, oh, this is an attempt to gain fame by this person. Right. That's their, their justification for why. In Brittany's case, um, part of it is, is, you know, part of what makes the story compelling is that for a long time she was saying, no, no, no everything's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, and she, and she openly admitted that in her, her speech and her yep. conversation with the judge. She openly admitted that she said, you know, yeah, she was saying that things were okay and they weren't. Um, so to me, that makes a big difference. Um, but, you know, I'm also of, of, the, of the point that, you know, she's in front of the judge or on the phone with the judge desperately pleading for some sense of freedom mm-hmm. that... Frankly, I don't know the details to be able to say, yeah, you know what, she should be removed from this conservatorship and, and allowed, you know, free reign over her own personal stuff. I mean, that's part of the, the whole process is that the court system should be evaluating this based on, you know, what medical professionals are saying. Um, and I don't have access to that information. I don't have access to the to the you know, to the to the actual testimony of these medical professionals that are evaluating her her situation. So you don't know who's taking advantage. You don't know, you know, who's uh, 
who's telling the truth in the situation. And you just hope that in, a, in, the, in the court of law that people are doing the right thing based on what a fair measurement of justice would be. Mm-hmm. But if you base it on um, what she was doing years ago, it's like, mm-hmm. all right, I can kind of see why someone needed to step in and help keep this from going completely off the rails. So I think I answered part of my own question. Um, I think with Brett, nobody knew who the hell he was. And then, and then he was being attacked, quote, attacked. So then they were like, well, who are you? So I think that's part of it. And obviously your answer was pretty damn good as well. But I think with Brittany, at least for me, I was always like, she's saying she's okay, but I can tell she's not. What is going on? And so for her to admit, guess what, I lied. Things sucked. Is why. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that explains it. So I think that that's probably part of it as well. Um, we're kind of looking for answers and always looking for answers. And even though she kept saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, we're just like, sweetie, you're dancing on Instagram with smudged under eye makeup, and it, it looks like you were crying. It doesn't look like you were happy. So stop saying you're happy and tell us what's going on. And then for her to finally say, I was unhappy, we're like, oh, that, that explains everything. But another point I wanted to make, um, I don't think I have, and maybe I'm naive, I don't think I've ever heard of conservatorship until Britney Spears. This woman yeah. earned every penny that she, has, that she has in her bank account. That's all hers. I'm sorry. If she fucks up and spends it all, let her. It's her fucking money. Why are we debating whether she should have it or not? She worked her ass off. And there were a couple of performances that were videotaped. Sorry, I don't know why that alarm is going off. Um, there are a couple of performances that were videotaped that I'm looking at this woman. And she's got, you know, her Vegas residency. I'm like, she's not there. She is not there. Like some dance moves, some hand gestures. I'm like... I know she's there, but she's not. Something's going on with this yeah. woman. And it reminded me of her Give Me More um, performance at the, v- the uh, VMAs. Like, I personally don't think she's changed since then. I think she's been miserable since then. And I get she had a nervous breakdown. I get people don't want her to lose all her money, but that's her money to lose far too long. Like, you wanted to take control of her and save her when she needed it? Okay, great. Why has it been 12 years and we're still here? Like, I don't understand. Why is it taking, like, I don't get it. I, I'm yeah, so thoroughly confused. Like, the veil over what's actually happening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what we observe as, as, a, as a public, it's very mm-hmm. hard to watch this person make this desperate plea for her own autonomy and a return to some sense of normalcy for her without knowing, you know, is that actually what should happen? Is that actually what is best for her? 
and is, you know, uh-huh. taking control of her own finances going to lead to, you know, this calamity because she's got, you know, this, this, uh, you know, these, these mental health impairments that are, are, you know, that, that, that are, that are supposed to be monitored and, and, you know, to prevent her from being her own worst enemy, you know, and that's the thing, like, as someone who, who has a difficult time understanding mental health issues because of, you know, because of my own, you know, uh, lack of awareness or, you know, ex, you know, accessibility to it, at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, to me, I always err on the side of, yeah, this person should have their own autonomy. But at the same time, mm-hmm. it's hard to know what the right answer is because I'm an outsider looking in. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I see in the public, you know, based on either, like you said, videos of performances or, you know, situations that have happened where, you know, she's, she's doing these, these things publicly uh, or even where the paparazzi catches her, you know, un- unaware, it's hard to make an assessment based on just, the, like, you know, the sliver of information that we have about what's actually going on in her, in her life. Um, you know, I, I trust that she's not using, you know, trying to manipulate the courts. But at the same mm. time, I don't know the other, I don't know the other side of the story either. So I'm just trying to, and I'm trying to reserve judgment. And but I, you know, normally I would err on the side of this person should have their own autonomy and be able to do what they want with their life and with their money and their earnings because she is ultimately the one who earned all that mm-hmm. money. Mm-hmm. And pays those people. She's paying right now. Think about this, guys. She's paying people to over medicate her. She's paying people to do the horrible things that she explained in her letter, which we're going to talk about. Um, she's paying people to do these horrible things to her. I'm confused that we. She needed help in the in the beginning. I get it. She was going crazy. She was off the deep end. She was crying out for help. She needed it then. But the second that she got better, I feel, was the circus album. I feel like there was a totally different Britney. She was back to who she normally was. She was doing interviews, and she wasn't the way she was in the previous album. She was just herself. She was the old Britney, which I'm not sure, now that I think about it, what that was. But anyway... She was the Britney that I recognized, I will say. Um, that should have been when the conservatorship should have ended. Other people are doing far worse things than she's doing, and they're not even close to being in a conservatorship. And part of her letter, that the most alarming thing in her letter, first of all, um, again, we can talk about it. I was so confused as to what her actual message was because she said a lot of words, but she really didn't say anything. She revealed a lot yeah. of stuff, but I'm like, she went from one extreme to another, and I don't think she had someone, like, I know her boyfriend probably read it and was like, yep, yep, I, uh, yep, because he's too close to it. He knows what's happening. He was her backup dancer first, so he saw what was happening, and now he's her boyfriend, so he's intimately involved. She needed a third person to take a look at that and be like, sweetie, cut this out, move this here, but she, you know, whatever. Um, 
one thing that alarmed me and it sticks out to me is that she never said no to anything. And she said no to a dance move. She's like, I don't want to do that. And they're like, okay. All of a sudden, all these people, boom, they go into a room, lock the door, come out. And they're like, okay, let's, let's, let's the way that you wanted, pretended everything was normal. And next thing you know, she gets a phone call that she's uncooperative. She's off her medication. She's, do, she's a bad person, blah, blah, blah. And so she had to get changed on a new medication that was so strong and powerful. She couldn't even be herself. That was telling. I mean, the IUD thing was disgusting. Like, oh, my God. Forcing her to have one so that she couldn't have another kid? Who are you right now? I, I, that, was, that was the most vulgar thing I've ever heard. A violation of a woman like that? You don't force that on someone. So um, what did you feel when you were um, reading what she wrote? Reading what she wrote, yeah. Well, so I, you know, and I read through the whole thing and I was, number mm-hmm. one, I was like very confused because, yeah. and again, you know, I don't, I don't know the other side of the story. What I'm basing it on is simply what she said to the judge. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I will take it with a grain of salt because the judge even said, you know, hey, slow down. You're just kind of like going off the rails a little bit. Like, I, we can't we can't type all this shit as fast as you're saying it. <laughs> so she was she, she was clearly in an excited state, which, OK, I, I get it. You know, this is this is a big deal. This is very personally, uh, you know, mm-hmm. impactful. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. the, the problem that I have is that. I don't know why these things were forced upon her. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if they were actually forced upon her. What I do know Mm -hmm. is that she's saying that this is not what she wants. Mm -hmm. Um, She's saying that this is not something that she believes is right at at Mm -hmm. this time. And it's it's a situation that she is now, you know, willingly trying to change. And so... If she's trying to change it, what right do we have or what right does the judge have saying, you know what, um, this is, this is, we're going to continue this because this is what we want. Um, right. And that's part of, that's part of the, the confusing situation with the legal system in general is that we're, mm-hmm. you know, we're left, we're left to our own devices to try to figure this stuff out and see if this is legitimate based on what we're hearing, what we're seeing, you know, what's in the public eye. But at the end of the day, we don't, you know, we don't know. I don't know what the answer is, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty messed up. But um, I don't know. A lot of it would just seem like kind of incoherent rambling. And then she sprinkled in some details. Um, so it's hard. It's hard to make a judgment off of what limited information that we have and still say, hey, you know what, this is, this is right, this is wrong, this is how it should be, this is how it shouldn't be. Um, I feel for her because clearly this is an emotional situation for her. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, you know, like you said, you just hope for the best in a situation and err, err on the side of what's, you know, what's right, which should be, you know, personal autonomy. I think what the rambling was, um, and I think you can get behind it because you and I talked about this, it was, okay, 
this is your last shot to say something, Brittany. What do you want to say? And it was all everything. It was everything word vomited out. And it didn't make sense because, like I had said, she didn't have anybody proofread it for her. But the reason why she was so excited, the reason why she was saying it so fast was, number one, this was her chance to finally speak. People speculated. People called her all kinds of names. Perez Hilton, like, trashed her completely. And this was her time to tell her side of the story. So she was excited about that. But also... I guarantee you she was terrified to say it. She was terrified to call her father out for putting IUD in her and not getting her, giving her access to her own money so she can get her own lawyer and doing all these other things. She was probably scared of the repercussions. And so she was, that's another reason why I'm assuming she was talking so fast and she was like word vomiting everything. Um, But also, we have to keep in mind, it's not that she doesn't want a conservatorship. She's okay with a conservatorship. She just wants her dad removed. There's a trust, there's a bank or I can't remember, there's a bank or a trust company or something that's already attached to it, as well as her dad. She's just saying she wants her dad removed. I think that needs to be, like, plainly stated. She's okay with the conservatorship for now, but... She doesn't want her dad there. Her dad is a toxic individual to her, as she stated. Holy shit. Um, And then he says, you know what was really telling, though? He's like, I haven't seen my daughter. So you are her conservator, but you haven't seen her? Doesn't that tell you something? Like, if I was a judge, I'd be like, wait, hold on. You are her conservator. You're her dad, and you haven't seen your own daughter? The person that you are in control of? You haven't, like, had a friendly conversation? You haven't spent holidays with her? That would give me pause for alarm. I don't know. I I don't know what's going to happen. I say free Britney. That's what I say. Because she needs uh. to have her life back. Um, speaking of bullying... Perez Hilton actually went and he supported Britney publicly. Um, People have dragged him because the most disgusting thing that he did was when Heath Ledger died, he put underneath the words of the picture of Heath Ledger, this should have been Britney. Um, Have you ever done something that A, you regret and B, that you apologized for? Um, all the time. Yeah. All the time. Um, is it easy I, for you to I, admit I would, when you're wrong, though? All right. So here's the, this is the conundrum, right? Um, okay. If you think you're right, you're not going to admit you're wrong. Yeah. And it's to me, it's very hard in the face of uh, it's it's only in the face of very compelling evidence. Do I ever mm-hmm. assume that, you know, that people are actually right in a situation? So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll lawyer the crap out of anything just because I disagree and I think that in a situation I could be right or there's nothing that convinces me that, I'm, that I am actually wrong. There are times where mm-hmm. I'll say something or do something um, and, you know, my, my, my wife will argue with me till I'm blue in the face about things, but there are times where, 
you know, unless I'm faced with literally incontrovertible evidence that's undeniable mm-hmm. where I'll be like, no, that's, that's not true. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. Um, so I would say that it's hard to admit that I'm wrong in a situation where it is not clear that I'm wrong. In a situation mm-hmm. where it's clear that I'm wrong, 100%. I own it all day, every day. What about as a parent? Have you ever admitted to Anthony that you're wrong? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in hindsight, okay. yeah, absolutely. Okay. It's, and, and that is, I will say that's incredibly humbling because, especially when you're talking about your own kid, mm-hmm. um, it's incredibly humbling to have to say, hey, you know what? I should have done this differently. I could have done this better. Mm-hmm. Um Mm-hmm. And as a parent, you have to own those mistakes anyway because mm-hmm. we're not perfect as much as we like to think that we're perfect and as much as we like to think we're the smartest person in the room. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have an instruction manual. <laughs> so it's hard, it's, hard to, it's hard to go through a, a process and, a, and, a, and, a, and live your life trying to like mold this young person and this, you know, this person that you have to care for um, and still feel like, you know, you're doing it without making mistakes and you're always going to make mistakes, which sucks. Um, but that's also the part of parenting that's, you know, that that's enjoyable. There is no rule book. There's no right or wrong. Um, there's just, how can I do something better? Mm-hmm. That's understandable. I 100% am at the point in my life where I am okay admitting my mistake. And it doesn't matter if it's big or small. Someone corrected me on Twitter about something. I admitted it. Like, oh, yeah, you're right. Sorry. When you can admit to those little things, the big things don't feel so bad. You know, um, I've had to take down a post or two because I didn't do my due diligence. I'm not perfect. I've taken down a post and I've said to a couple people, you know, sorry, I offended you, didn't mean to. Or one of my friends contacted me, hey, um, do you know the backstory on this? Oh, okay, yeah, now that makes sense. Okay, I get it now. But like you, and I think this is why we've been such good friends for so long, you ain't going, if I know I'm right and I've done my research, you can't tell me shit. You can't tell me shit. You can't, you ain't, you ain't convincing me? Hell no. Like, you will never, ever, ever convince me that Donald Trump is a good person. You can't convince me of that. It's not going to happen, so don't waste your time. Now, I'll go one step further with that. You won't convince me that he was a good president. <laughs> I mean, people will try, Joe. Well, look at the good things that he's done. Okay, sit all the way down in your seat. Um, <laughs> okay, because the minimal good things he's done are completely overshadowed by all of the bad things that he's done. So sit all the way down. Um, Even a blind spot finds enough. I mean, but I definitely will admit when I'm wrong about something or about someone. 
the someone part. I can admit, I am, and I will be 100% honest, when I first meet someone, my guard is so far up and I can't stand them. I don't even know them. It's so rare when I meet somebody that I actually like them. But typically, if I meet you brand new, oh, I can't stand your last. And that's just a defense mechanism. I've had to say, you know what? I am sorry for judging you the first time I met you. I don't mind saying it because I know I'm wrong. So, and there's, I'll even go one step further. There's even movies that I've been like, this looks so fucking stupid. And then I watched it. I'm like, oh, my God, that was the best movie ever. Um, and then <laughs> I had to post up about it. And I was the person that posted that this looks stupid and then had to post, well, I need to take back my words because this movie was amazing. Done it. I have no qualms about it. I have no shame in admitting when I'm wrong. It's part of being human. So... Speaking of being human, uh, what is one thing that you cannot wait to do once we fully reopen? So I actually, I was thinking about this a lot because in my mind, I'm like, well, things are pretty reopened. And the other part, the other caveat to this is for the most part, I really, you know, I've I've been careful about a lot of things, Mm -hmm. but you know, when I was when I was kind of going through the summary with my wife, she's like, "We've been so careful." I'm like, you know, I gotta be honest mm-hmm. with you. In terms, in, in, and this will kind of feed into my Eva Mendez moment. In terms of like okay. keeping things keeping things like locked down and 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 not putting myself or anyone else in harm's way. Like, I don't know that we were the most careful. Um, wow. And it's, it's not a knock, but I just think of things on a kind of like a spectrum and a continuum. Like, there are people that I've talked to that have not gone out this entire time. They have not been out of their house except for to, like, go get groceries and maybe, like, mm-hmm. go get gas so that, they, so that they can go get groceries the next week, you know? And they right. had not gone out to a restaurant. They had not gone. They hadn't done anything in a year, mm-hmm. over a year. And I was like, yeah, that. To me, that's wild, um, and and that is someone that took it very seriously. And then there's other people that are like, "Yeah, I went to this place and I did that, and I didn't care." And I was like, "F these masks! I'm not wearing a mask. You can't tell me how to live my life." And I was like, "All right, I'm not, I'm not on that end of the spectrum." Nope. Um, nope. You're somewhere in the middle. But, but fine. Yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle. So I think, in terms of you know what, I cannot wait to return to normal. My opinion's a little bit skewed because I already feel like we're pretty much there. But mm-hmm. um, the one thing that I, I, one thing that I cannot wait till you know till you know we've 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 actually reached a, a sense of normalcy is I can't wait until we can stop talking about COVID all the time. Yeah. You know I can't wait until Good that's answer. no longer. That's no longer the, the main topic of discussion mm-hmm. on how we have to live our lives, how we have to perceive everything, how we can go mm-hmm. about work, how we can go about our personal lives, how we can go about our interactions with our friends, our families, uh, our coworkers. Like when that is no longer a thing, then I feel like we've we've gotten there. Um, so even just you know saying what's you know what what's what's going to happen or what's the thing that you're looking forward to. 
the fact that that's still the conversation to me is mm-hmm. telling because we're because we're not there yet. It's still there. It nope. Still has. Good answer. Very good answer. How about you? Uh, oh, you know my answer. <laughs> um, everyone knows my answer, and I will explain it a little bit more in detail. It's not just that I cannot wait to go back to the movies. It's that I cannot wait to go back to the Lux level movies. Listen to me. The Lux level movies are the pinnacle of me being an adult. Like, I'm able to go, especially the bougie one in Chestnut Hill. Oh, my freaking gosh. Going there, first of all, and I don't know if I explained this to you guys, how bougie this Lux level is. First of all, it's called Super Lux. Not Deluxe, not Lux level, Super freaking Lux. You walk in, <laughs> and they give you a blanket, a blanket that has been hand-washed, not hand-washed, machine-washed, wrapped up with uh, a piece of, what's it called, like, paper? That says, you know, this has been washed and whatever. So you put, put the blanket on your, your legs because it gets really cold in there. You're in leather seats that recline and that are heated. You hit the button for the concierge. They bring you not just, like, normal food. Honey, when I went to the lust level, I had a dish. Let me tell you. Well done. Steak frites with Parmesan uh, fries and watercress salad and a lemonade. Let me tell you how bougie I felt. The, it, going to the movies has always been, when I was growing up, I haven't had like a horrible childhood, but going to the movies was always the highlight because my mother was not, she was making $20,000 a year supporting three people, Okay. So when we went to the movies, first of all, she would load her purse up with food, and we would the food in. <laughs> Honey, we snuck in McDonald's, yep. Arby's, uh, mm-hmm. KFC. We smoked, uh, snuck in, like, whole meals. Honey, there was one point we snuck in sandwiches, okay, with the mayo in the jar, okay? So we, <laughs> we popped popcorn in a bag and put it in her purse. Like, come on now. So it's always been an enjoyable thing when I was a kid. So to be an adult and not have to sneak in that stuff and to have the the money to buy fancy dishes, steak frites, what the fuck is that? It's just steak cut up in little strips. I don't know. It's like chicken tenders, but steak, I don't know. Being able to afford that stuff, being able to not break my bank because I'm using it, being able to feel like when you're in a movie, people don't care who they're sitting next to. Sometimes they talk to you. I don't know if it's a Massachusetts thing. They'll be like, oh, have you been here before? Have you tried this dish? Where do I get that blanket? Where'd you get that blanket? Like, we constantly are talking before the movie, and you end up having, like, feeling like you're part of something, even though you're just sitting in a dark theater together. And I don't know, there was just, there's such a sense of camaraderie in a movie theater, especially the bougie ones, because they're so small. Um, 
And the fact that all these theaters during the pandemic closed down and upgraded their seating, um, upgraded their snack bars and whatnot, I've been able to go to, like I said last week, a, the, a movie theater that I really love. The only difference is that you have to, before you go into the movie, you have to order your food. And then if you want, like, another meal, you have to get up and get it. That part sucks. That makes me feel like I'm at a normal theater. I like the experience of being bougie and having somebody wait on me and I press a button and they come to me. Garçon, garçon. Like, I like that. So I can't wait to open back up and I can be my full bougie self. To be honest with you. Uh-huh. I, love I love it. I feel bad for the poor guy that I end up with. He's going to have to be bougie too. Shit. Yeah. Poor guy. Poor guy. Yeah, do you um, know? Yeah, do you know? That's true. <laughs> wow, Joe. Wow. But, uh, mm-hmm. um, movie reviews, movie TV. What have you watched in the past week that you want to want to recommend or discuss? So I actually took a small hiatus yep. from, uh, from, from my obsessive, compulsive uh, TV viewing and movie viewing. Mm-hmm. I, I, the only thing, I, I finished Ballers. Okay. Um, I, the, the only other thing that I watched uh, was this week's episode of Loki. Okay. And that's it. That's it. I've been on, I've been on hiatus. Trying to limit myself. I, nice. Hey, you gotta. You're enjoying your life right now. You're still a newlywed. Getting out there, doing things. It's summer. Your stepdaughter's out of school. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, I haven't been so lucky because I'm single and I don't have a man or children or anything or a life. So <laughs> I've been able to watch a lot of stuff that I watched before, but I guess I, I keep saying this. I'm watching it with different eyes now. So I watched the first three Spider-Man movies with Tobey Maguire, and I kept telling Joe, I think I might have to marry Tobey Maguire. And he's like, yeah, no. Um, they were so good. Like, they they held up. They were better than I remembered. Um, but one thing they could only work this Spider-Man can only work in the early 2000s. Here's why. Kids today aren't bullying each other the way that they did in those movies. Like I get it, you know, it, it fits an era, but I feel like every time that I look up to a high school or um, a coming-of-age story, it's someone being bullied. Not everybody's bullied. Like, we need to get rid of this portrayal that people are constantly bullied all the time. I know I, I was bullied, and I get it, but I also can recognize not everybody had that experience. I want to see a movie that talks about the opposite of that. Talk about not that I want to feel bad for, but talk about the bully's life. Talk about the people that aren't bullied, that are just in high school and they're just doing their thing and they're just 
what about a movie where you're under the radar and then all of a sudden when you get out of high school, you're the biggest thing in the world. And people are like, I, I didn't know that person went to my high school. Like, I just want to see different stories. The bullying thing is so overrun and cliched, and I'm over it. I am so over it. Um, and then I watched the next two Spider-Man movies. Again, it was bully. The thing I didn't like about the the, the two Spider-Man movies, The Amazing Spider-Man with um, Andrew Garfield, it sent the wrong message when he was bullied, when Peter Parker was bullied as Tobey Maguire, he would fight back, but then his, the adults would be like, I understand you could fight, but maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you should fight another way. With this one, the other two, Peter Parker would fight back and people would be like, oh, shame on you. You don't fight back. I'm like, wait, hold on. Why is he getting in trouble? He, he fought back to a bully. I'll be damned if I was going to get in trouble. Listen, when I was bullied, I had a mouth on me, and I would say, say shit, and I wasn't getting in trouble. I, if I got in trouble, you better believe I would have talked my way out of that. So I just, I don't know. I think we're, we need to move past the bullying. Um, the, the three Spider-Man movies that are coming out now, well, the third one's coming out, but... The new two, um, pretty good. I'm not going to lie to you. Really good. Really good. I can't watch them right now. I did watch them last year because I have this obsessive compulsive thing where if I watch anything in the MCU, I have to watch them all in order. So I couldn't watch um, Tom Holland's Spider-Man movies this time, but I remember last year. And, yeah, they were amazing. Um, I also watched this movie Cellular with Chris Evans, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, it's also when I started to crush on Chris Evans heavily. Have you heard of Cellular? Um, I may have even seen it. Yeah, some people they say the same thing. Exactly. He like gets a phone in like a park or something. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so what happens yeah, is um, Kim Basinger plays a mom, and she she and her son get kidnapped, and she's in a – it's one of Jason Statham's first movie roles, too. Um, she's in um, an attic, and there's a phone in the attic, and Jason Statham smashes it. And she she's a science teacher, so she, like, kind of puts wires together – randomly calls someone and it happens to be Chris Evans cellular and he, and they call it cellular because cell phones were kind of just popular back in what, 2004, 2005. So, yeah, it was so good. And then the same writer wrote phone booth. So it was like, he, he had two of the same movies. One was just connected to a stationary thing, but anyway, I, have to, I should watch Phone Booth anyway. But it was so good, so good, held up so well. Chris Evans was amazing. Um, Kim Basinger was phenomenal, and Jason Jason Statham was creepy, kind of hot at the same same aspect. I don't know. It was it was a good film. Um, funny story. I actually reached out to one of the stars in it. 
he played a bad guy. And I said, I, I went under his comment. I go, damn, his name was Dimitri in the film. I go, damn, Dimitri's aging well. And he responded, he goes, oh, my God, you just watched Cellular, didn't you? <laughs> he is hot, though. Um, another movie I watched was The Devil Wears Prada, which um, still holds up. Meryl was fantastic. But, again, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. and Maybe I'm thinking about it too much. When I see somebody in a movie not saying the things that they should be saying, I'm like, this isn't real. This isn't real. Like, why wouldn't you say something? I don't know. I'm I'm currently trying to watch The Ice Road with Liam Neeson. So yesterday I tried to watch it and I fell asleep. And before the show, I started to watch it, but I wasn't paying attention. So I got to rewatch it a third time. Um, yeah. That's all I got for movies and TV. Um, Eva Mendez moment. What was yours? Uh, my Eva Mendez moment, which I know I kind of briefly alluded to earlier, was... Um, you did. Very much. Yeah, I got to I got to go out to dinner with a couple of uh, of old friends, and one nice. of those old friends is your is your former neighbor, who has since moved to uh, to New Hampshire up near me. My <clears throat> former um, neighbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A very tall former neighbor. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Not not on social media. No. Blonde. No. 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 Wait. Oh, wait. Is it, it could be the other one, Puerto Rican? Yep, 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 yep. Got it. I know who you're talking about. Got it. Yep. Um, and uh, we I got to talk to you we after now. <laughs> <laughs> so when we were, talk, uh-huh. we were talking about people that have kind of been on full-scale lockdown, he's one of those people. Yep. And I was like, yeah, you know, we got to, we got to, we got to get now. You know, not 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 to um, not to say that that it's not well deserved or you know it's not it, he's not well within his right to have that perspective. But um, you know, I was I was kind of taken aback because he's not the you know he's not normally um, as risk averse as as one would think. Mm-hmm. But it was mm-hmm. just great to get out, have dinner with uh, you know a couple a couple of buddies, and you know you know, shoot the shit, catch up on stuff. And um, mm-hmm. it was just really good because this was really the first time that, um, that he's been out doing anything. So um, it was good. It was good to, um, it was good to get out and hang out and, uh, and spend some time. And again, kind of return to some sense of normalcy that, um, yep. that we, I think we're all craving in some way, shape or form to whatever extent it is. So that was good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, what was my even Mendes moment? Oh, um, so I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, my friend, um, I, I use that term way too loosely. Guy that I know, acquaintance, his name is Rusty. I met him on TikTok. He was going through, like, he's been going through a lot back surgery, 
um, out of work from being a police officer, back to work, relationship not going so well. Um, And I just talked to him. And it was like, it felt like the first time, like, I really got to know him past just being, you know, in his life, past just listening to um, some of his videos and watching some of his videos, I actually got to talk to him as a person. And it was so refreshing. It's almost like that thing that I've said before, like watching a cartoon and you see the cartoon's chest move up and down so they're breathing. It was like, this is a real person. And I felt so, like, honored that he was able to open up to me a little bit about his life and I don't know it just I'm normally not like an open person especially lately I've been like very closed off from meeting new people but for some reason my interaction with him and you know I was in his live being funny and stuff like that and then I was talking to somebody else in his live after his live ended, and they're like, oh, my God, you were so funny. You had him laughing. I'm sure he appreciates it. Then I reached out to him, and I'm like, hey, I hope I wasn't too much in your life. He's like, oh, my God, you made me laugh so hard. Thank you so much. I've been going through a lot. And it was just so nice to, like, make someone else's day. I'm probably his Eva Mendes moment. And that really struck a chord with me because I'm like, I'm not doing this for any other reason than to make this guy happy and look at what I did. Like I, I felt good about myself. So that was my, um, that was my Eva Mendes moment. Being a selfish bitch <laughs> and making someone else happy. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's, that's, that's what it's all about sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, before we go, I just want to give a shout out to my friend, Brandon. Um, I love you, B, and I hope that you are in a great place mentally, emotionally, financially, and I will be right there when you need me. So, you have any shout-outs you want to give? Um, I do. I do have a shout-out. I want a shout-out. Okay. Um, I'm going to have two shout-outs. Okay. And, uh, and they're kind of related to, to some stuff that we didn't get to talk about, but I want to shout out to all the people working hard in uh, Florida to try to find survivors of that building collapse. Um, they've okay. been met with some really adverse situation uh, to, you know, to try to, to kind of forge through the, the rubble to try to find survivors. There's still a lot of missing people. So shout out mm-hmm. to them for staying the course, trying to deal with a fire, trying to deal with, crazy storms coming through there and um and hopefully you know yeah. you know that they, i i know it's becoming increasingly unlikely but hopefully they find some more survivors um there's a lot of missing people and it's really sad to hear that um in that building collapsed that that's what happened um could have been avoided and um you know shout out to all the the, the people working really hard to try to to try to make things right and try to do what they can to help uh anyone who is who's uh an unfortunate um an unfortunate victim that's, of that situation. That's going to be an um, incredible that, movie. That's going to be like, a no joke. Movie. No joke. Because dealing with what they're dealing with, just to just to find people, just to help people, like wow, wow. Yeah. 
Um, and it was such right, a, go ahead. a crazy situation. Crazy, crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing I want to I want to give a shout out to um, to the Senate and the House. Mm-hmm. And I know this is a weird shout out, but the no, infrastructure fine. bill that that they finally uh, you know finally got to a, some kind of agreement and you know came to at least some consensus about what needed to be done. Um, I want to give a shout out for. Giving, giving at least some semblance of the appearance that there's mm-hmm. hope for Washington, hope for ending some of this nonsensical gridlock about getting things done. And I'm really optimistic that people will um, will see this as a positive opportunity to, you know, to get things done for our country. I think it's been too mm-hmm. long that we have languished in this, in this very bifurcated polar environment where people just say no for the sake of saying no. And Uh it really ends up just hurting the American people. Um, So it gives me a little bit of hope. And, you know, that's something that I think we really need, especially coming out of COVID and dealing with all the stuff that we've dealt with for the past several years with a really crazy political environment. Um, And I, I really hope that it's a, a sign of things to come for our country and for, for the people that, uh, you know, that have, have really suffered over the course of the past several years because we can't get anything done. Yep. Agreed. Well, this is the last podcast for the month, which means it's going to be the last podcast of 2021 Pride Month. And I hope going forward we pick up the momentum that we started this month um, and run with it. And I hope that this is sooner or later. I hope Pride Month is not something that we celebrate. I hope we celebrate Pride every single freaking day of the year. Um, But for now, I just hope that we keep the same momentum and keep going. Oh, one more thing we have to talk about real quick. Um, Derek Chauvin was sentenced, and he got 22 and a half years in prison. Um, what what was your feeling before we go um, when you heard the sentence? Um, I didn't have super high expectations. I didn't think he was going to get mm. the full 30 anyway. Um, and I mm-hmm. think most, you know, legal legal experts and legal analysts were saying similar things that mm-hmm. it'd be very unlikely for him to get the full thirty. Um, what I do think is that while I'm disappointed that that was never going to be the case, or that was very unlikely for that to be the case, I think twenty two and a half years sends a message. Um, it sends a message to police that. Mm-hmm. You know, doing your job does not entail overstepping boundaries and killing mm-hmm. anyone unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. There's enough times where you're literally, you know, where you're actually at risk of eminent danger and you have to take a life. And that is no situation that anyone wants to be in ever. But mm-hmm. I think the important thing that, that hopefully this, that this message that it sends is that um, – while, while that's something that should be taken seriously, there should never be a situation where you are the you are the cause of someone's death. 
that could have been mm-hmm. prevented and was completely unnecessary in a situation where doing your job does not require, um, you know, this, this uh, unfair and, and unjust uh, taking of a life and more so taking of a life where there are racial repercussions because you're a white cop taking the life of a black man. Um, it, it's, it's shocking to me that we're in 2021 and we still have to deal with this stuff as a, as a country. We still have not come to grips with it, but I'm hoping that this sends the right message to law enforcement everywhere that, mm-hmm. yes, you have a hard job and the good cops that are out there trying to keep people safe should be, you know, applauded for the work that they do. And the bad cops that don't do what they're supposed to do should be shamed and they should be shamed publicly and they should be held accountable for those things that they do that are outside the scope of what they're they're interested by the public, by the communities that they serve. Um, When it's outside of that, they should be punished and they should be punished severely. Agreed. Um, So if you keep it in perspective, he's serving 2.5 years for every minute he was on George Floyd's neck, which was nine minutes. So like you said, yes, it's a step in the right direction. It does send a message. But also one thing that was kind of shocking to me was he didn't show emotion when – he was convicted. He showed no emotion. The only thing that registered with me was shock. Shock that he didn't get off. And then fast forward to this, the thing that really disgusted me was that he didn't show emotion until his mother stepped up to the podium. His mother did not offer condolences to George Floyd's family. She actually said in open court with his family behind her, oh, my son's a good person. You sentence him and you sentence me. And the thing that really, really just was the most asinine part of that whole, her whole testimony, her whole witness statement, was when she said, I've always believed in your innocence. What? Sweetie, he's not innocent. Like... Not only is he on video, but a court of law says he isn't. It's not just like hearsay. It's not like an opinion. He literally is not innocent. And then for him to, like, close his eyes, it almost was like he was embarrassed. But then for him to get up there and then say, well, there's going to be more details I'm not at liberty to say that might help your family find some comfort. Man, sit your ass down. Like, he's still not understanding. And I think it goes back to what we were saying, admitting when you're wrong. He wasn't, he doesn't acknowledge the fact that he was wrong. It wasn't just that he's a white cop who killed a black person. It goes deeper than that, Joe. He is a white cop who killed a black guy he knew. He knew this guy. He killed him on purpose, and that is what rings for me. That is what angers me. And he thought he was going to get away with it, and thank the heavens he did not. And I hope to God this sends a message to the cops that helped him that are on trial, to the cops that shot 
Dante, whatever his last name is, I can't even think of it right now. I want to say West, but that's not correct. Um, to all these other cops that are doing the worst things, if you are a good cop, you should not be penalized for standing up when a bad cop does something wrong. I remember a video of these people, these cops arresting someone, and one of the cops went crazy, and the other cop goes, no, and pushed him back. That is a good cop. The one that pushed that guy back is a good cop. The one that didn't do anything when he attacked is the bad cop as well. So we need to, if you're going to differentiate yourself between a good cop and a bad cop, let your actions prove that for you. You don't need to tell us. Show us. So. Well, that was it, truly. Um, thank you again for joining me this week. I am calling you right after this. We got we to gotta talk, buddy. I need to know the key. <laughs> All right. <laughs> thank you so much for listening, as always, guys. Appreciate it. Love you. And we will talk to you next week. Bye, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Still thirsty for more tea? Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Spilled Tea PC. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Spilled Tea.